Welcome back to Just Like Other Girls. I've been talking a lot about things that I have opinions on, just more observational, but I wanted to take a moment during the show today and talk a little bit about my life as a comedian. It's it's funny, when I first announced that I was going to be starting Just Like Other Girls, I asked you guys, what would you like to hear about? And sort of to my surprise, a lot of you guys said, just your story. What is it like to be a comedian in New York City? What is it like to be a content creator? What? How did you get into it? What's your process like? And I don't know why I was surprised. I thought, oh, no one's going to want to hear about that. But I'm excited that it seems to be something you guys are interested in hearing about. So that's what today's episode is going to be about. Me as a comedian, how I got here, how I make it work, what it means for me. So I guess it's funny because people always ask me, did you always know you wanted to be a comedian? And the answer is no. I, I really didn't. But I think if I now, with hindsight being twenty twenty, if I look back at how I got to where I am, it's like the writing was always on the wall. There was always cues that I was going to do something like this. It just took me a while to find exactly what it was. And I think... I think that's true of whatever you decide that you're going to end up doing or you find a passion or a hobby or a career. I think it comes about in sort of a roundabout way because to some extent, I think you do have to throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. And so for me, I was always a performer my whole life. I I was a child actress, which sometimes can feel like a dirty word, but I loved it. And I lived, you know, growing up in Connecticut as an only child We lived close enough to New York City that my parents could bring me in on auditions. And it was never something that I was forced to do because I think that's why it gets such a bad name because there are kids who I think have to do it not because they love it but because their parents want them to do it. And for me, it was something that I loved to do. And I even asked my parents, you know, can I do that? And so they would bring me in. So I was always acting, whether professionally, you can catch me as the little cookie girl in two weeks notice with Sandra Bullock. Um, or, uh, you know, just in my own school plays, or I always did theater camp, and I was a dancer, and I took acting class and voice lessons, and I always loved being an actress. And it was really fun for me. And I did that, like I said, as a kid. And then You may or may not know, I I spent a large portion of my youth as a figure skater, which is, again, incredibly performative. It's a sport, but it has such a huge performance element. But when I was doing that, I really focused on that 100% and stepped away from acting, so I wasn't doing much of it. But by the time I got towards the end of high school or college, I was no longer skating. I was, again, really into acting and thought, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. Maybe I want to be an actress. I went to college, I ended up kind of by accident, it wasn't the plan, I ended up majoring in theater. I had a double major in theater and English, which at the time, you know, not exactly the most lucrative career path majors that you can have, but it was what I liked and wanted to do, and I focused within those majors on acting and writing, and yeah, literally got a degree in acting which is such a funny concept in some great in some ways but it also I mean I learned a lot and when I graduated school I was like all right I'm gonna move to New York and I'm gonna be an actress and that was it I didn't 
I didn't put much more thought into it than that. I was like, it's just, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And the thing about that is, you know it's going to be hard. Everyone tells you that. From the minute you say, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to be an auditioning actress or actor, whatever it might be, or I'm going to, anything in that art sort of field that is not a stable job where you have to audition or send your work out or anything like that, people tell you it's hard. The, the phrase that people within the world love to use is, if you can do anything else, do that. Which I kind of hate that phrase, honestly, because I think it, I don't know, I feel like it makes it feel like you have to be this, like, I'm dying to be an actress, and if I don't act, I feel like my life is going to fall apart. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. But regardless, you go into it and you know, okay, this is going to be tough. But you have this thought. And I think you have to have it to go and give this a shot. But there's this thought in the back of your head. You're like, yeah, no, I know this is going to be really hard. But not for me. Like, it's going to be different for me. I'm going to go and, yeah, I'm going to struggle a little bit. But it's going to work out. And you have this thought that it's going to be different for you. And I think you have to believe that. Otherwise, there's no way you could possibly say, I'm going to go do this with full confidence because it is such a hard life. And that's what I found out. In that first year that I lived in New York City and my goal was I am going to be an actress. I'm going to get cast in a TV show or in a movie. I really wanted to do film. I felt like I had done theater in in college and high school and I really was excited about doing film. And so I went to, I moved here and it was the hardest year of my adult life for sure. It was it was so exhausting both physically and emotionally and mentally. I I think that year I must have worked I think I worked like 11 part-time jobs because I was so afraid to have a full-time job because that's one of the things that they tell you when you say you want to be an actress or a comedian or a writer. They say, well, you can't get a full-time job because it's going to take away from that. What I, my, in my experience, and again, this is all just what I lived through, so it could be very different for other people. The idea that you don't have a full-time job because it's going to get in the way of what you're doing as an actress or an artist or a creator implies that you're going to be spending many hours doing your craft. And... The thing about being an actress is that you are constantly waiting for someone to give you permission to do your craft. Because when you want to be cast in a TV show or a movie or something like that, you need the director and the casting director and all these people to first invite you to audition. And before that, you need an agent or a manager. You need to audition for them or get in front of them in some way in order to even get a chance to audition for these different roles. It's definitely a catch-22 because you can't get an audition without a manager, but you really can't get a manager without having work on your resume. So it's sort of like, what am I supposed to do? So I moved to the city. I put aside all this time that I was going to, theoretically, I thought, oh, I'll be auditioning all day or I'll be working, I'll be on Law & Order or I'll be on this TV show or whatever. So I can't have a job that requires me to be there. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. So I got a job working at Bloomingdale's, the big 59th Street flagship location. 
and I sold denim. And, you know, I don't know why I thought being retail would be easier than food services, like working as a waitress. And I'm sure it, in some ways, is because as a waitress, you have very different hours, whether, you know, if you work at a coffee shop, you have to be there so early, or if you work at a restaurant, you have to be there so late. So at least Bloomingdale's, the hours were, what, 10 to 10 usually. But it's so hard because you're on your feet. You're not allowed to sit down when you're on the floor. So you're working these full eight-hour shifts without sitting down. The people who are shopping are not typically very nice to you. You you just, I personally felt like it was just so hard because it was not fulfilling for me. And I knew I wanted to be doing something more, something creative, something that I had worked my whole life to, to do and I wasn't getting that opportunity. And so I worked at Bloomingdale's. I also tutored kids for SAT prep. I tutored kids for college essays. I had two unpaid internships at a management office and at a casting director. I babysat. I freelance wrote on the side. I wrote blog posts for small businesses. And at one point, I was working independently for five different podiatrists, which is ridiculous because I know very little about feet. So I'm like Googling things about feet and then trying to find ways to rewrite them to make them interesting but also medically accurate. It was a crazy time. It was a time of just working so many different jobs and not knowing what I was doing. And it burned me out. And after a year of doing that, I was miserable. I remember one day I had to go to Bloomingdale's and it was like a Saturday and all my friends were going probably like to freaking brunch, right? That's what you do when you're 22 years old and you move to New York City. All my friends were going to brunch and I had to go to work and I hated this job and I was having no success as an actress. I wasn't getting auditions. I wasn't getting the opportunity to, to try out for things and therefore getting the opportunity to work as an actress. And I just sat down on my bed on when I was supposed to be leaving for work and I just cried. I cried hysterically and I was like, I can't do it anymore. And I made the decision to stop trying to be an actress, which was a really hard decision for me because it was something I felt like I had failed. More than anything else, I was like, I am a failure. I'm not doing this. So I moved here. I thought I was going to be an actress. Didn't, didn't do it at the time. But like I said, I majored in theater and English and I had studied acting and writing and writing was always something that I loved my whole life, always loved to write and I had been doing that freelance blog posting for podiatrists so I had some bit of a writing resume so eventually I decided I'm going to find a job that is more stable, it's in an office, I have a desk but I still get to write. And through some trial and error, I found advertising. And I got a job as a copywriter. And at the time, I worked at a social agency. So we were doing social media advertising. And I, I wrote Instagram copy. I wrote the, the captions to Instagram posts for different brands. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. For so many reasons. Because one, I was getting paid to write. I was getting paid to be creative. And that to me, when I thought about it, that was really my goal through all of it, was getting a chance to be creative for a living. So that was amazing. I had a desk, so I didn't have to bring things to work back and forth every day and tote these things around, which is something that I think if you've only ever worked in a corporate setting, you probably would take for granted because you have, the, like, because you have a desk and that's just how you've always 
worked. But for me, working so many different jobs, I would have to bring so many different things with me from place to place and walk. I mean, one day I remember I walked 12 miles going from job to job in the city, packing my lunch because I didn't have enough money to go out and buy lunch or anything like that and carrying all these things. And then I also got to make friends because I was in an office with other people who were young and like-minded and doing similar things. Um, And so I had friends to go out to drinks with after work and I could afford to go out to a drink. And so I just felt like I had hit the jackpot. I felt like I had figured out what I was going to do. I was going to be a creative director at an ad agency someday and I was going to be this person who wrote these amazing commercials and I got to be on set to film commercials. So that itch was being scratched and it just felt really great and I loved it. And I still work at an ad agency. And I would say maybe five or so years ago, I was so happy, you know, I was getting to write, I was getting to be on set all the time, but something was really missing. And like I said at the beginning, I've always been a performer. For me, there's always been this want and this need to be in front of people and to entertain them, to bring joy into their life or to make them think about something in a way they hadn't thought about that before through the way that I turn a phrase when I'm writing or through the idea of you know being in musical theater that was so fun as a kid and, and making people smile and light up because entertainment is such an important part of who we are, I think. It is, it's a place where we learn, it's a place where we can feel emotions, all of the emotions across the spectrum that we might be, you know, afraid to show in our own daily life. And a big thing about entertainment, at least for me, is that it's escapism in a lot of ways. It gives you a chance to escape from your own world, your own life, and see someone else's story whether that's real or fictional, and you get to see someone else's story and you end up comparing that story to your own life and then it helps you in some ways better deal with the things that maybe you were trying to escape from. And it's not always terrible things. It's not always dark, dark sadness. Sometimes it's just boredom or confusion or something like that. And to be able to turn on the TV, to go to a show, to watch something, to read something, I just think it's such an important part of the human experience and it helps us wrestle with things that we can't really figure out just internally. It's it's sort of like an external foil. And I got such joy out of being able to bring some form of entertainment to other people. And so I really missed performing. I really missed being on stage and having those moments with audience members where I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm making them smile, I'm making them laugh, whatever that might be. And a good friend of mine, a coworker, this was about the same time that The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was the show to watch. And a good friend of mine said to me one day at work, she was like, you know, you remind me of Maisel. I tell all my friends you're my Maisel friend. And something just clicked for me that I was like, huh, maybe, maybe I should try stand-up. And it was really that simple. And stand-up was something that I had always wanted to try back when I was, again, an auditioning actress, but I was too terrified and I didn't have the confidence or, frankly, the writing chops. Because stand-up is, I would say, more about writing than performance. 
than anything. It, it's really about writing a clean, tight joke. And after years of working in advertising where you are writing every single day and you're learning those hard skills and, and mastering the craft of writing and writing really short form. I mean, some ad units are six seconds long and you have to tell a story and make people laugh in six seconds. That's a very daunting thing to do. But when you do that every single day and then you're told get on stage and tell a joke and make someone laugh in the first 10 seconds, it's a little bit more accessible. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I took a stand-up class. And I have to say, a lot of comedians, maybe not, but I, sometimes I feel like comedians roll their eyes at that, like, oh, you took a class. It was the best thing I ever did because it gave me a space to fail without being in front of an audience. And I'm sorry, stand-up, writing jokes is not just being funny. It is such a technical craft and it's things that you know. It's things that you sort of know what is funny, right? We all know that inherently, whether we are professional comedians or just consumers of comedy. We all know what makes something funny. But you kind of just know it innately and you never really think about it. And it wasn't until this wonderful teacher I had gave us sort of, here are the structures of a joke and told us these things in black and white and we could see it in front of us that I thought, oh, okay, now I get it. And I could take those, those skills and, and what I needed to learn and try doing comedy. And I took a class and the first time I got on stage was for my class show. And it was this moment of everything just clicked. And I just thought, I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do because I get a chance to be a writer. I get a chance to be a performer. What I also loved about comedy at that time was I didn't have to be someone else. I just had to be myself. And in acting, you always have to be someone else. That's the craft. And, and that, that was hard for me at that moment in my life. I, I was having a harder time connecting with that. And to just get on stage and be myself felt so freeing and natural and fun and I was barely even nervous to get on stage to do stand-up which is kind of a crazy thing to think about but that's how I knew I was in the right place and it was funny too because like I said at the beginning people asked did you always know you wanted to be a comedian and the answer is no and I have to say that my my parents when I told them they were like we're kind of surprised we're kind of surprised like we we think you're funny but you were never the class clown or anything like that and it wasn't until I really started doing it that it all started to make sense. So I started doing stand-up I did it you know kind of just as a hobby but something that I loved and, and was hoping that maybe I could you know find some success in it but really it was just something I was enjoying doing and, and having a good time and trying to get in the clubs at New York which is very challenging and and for about a year I worked on that and right when I finally felt like I was making some strides and you know at the time they were they were small strides but I had found a couple shows that the people who were booking them knew me and, and would put me on the show or I felt like I had 10 whole minutes of stand-up which is a lot it is I'm not gonna diminish that it's a lot at the time it felt huge to be able to do 10 minutes instead of five and Right when I was starting to hit that stride was January of 2020 or March or whatever. 
and suddenly the world closed and with that comedy clubs and at first I was sort of like oh whatever I'll just I'll use this time to write more stand-up and I'll write a bunch and by the time this is all over like we all said in two weeks time I'll be back on stage and I'll have maybe 15 minutes of comedy well as we all know now, <laughs> two weeks became freaking two years almost, and there was nowhere to do comedy. And I left the city. There are definitely people when you talk to them. There was there was a really cool group of New York City comedians that made outdoor comedy a thing, and got to do stand up a lot. But I wasn't living in the city. I I went and lived with my parents and. I was nervous. I was really nervous about COVID. So I wasn't trying to do things until I was vaccinated. So I wasn't getting on stage. And I missed comedy so much. And I missed making people laugh. And I, and that's when social came about. And it's funny because it was sort of this confluence of events that made me take to social media one of which being the lack of being able to do stand-up at a comedy club, and that was circumstantial. The whole world was in that space. Two was occasionally I had done a character. Her name was Marley the Fitness Influencer, and I would post her on my Instagram stories. Never an in-feed post. That was way too scary. But I would pretend to be this very out-of-touch fitness influencer who would say stuff like, you know, if you can't afford getting an Equinox membership – Maybe you should try, like, getting a trust fund or something. And just, like, stupid stuff that my friends would be like, oh, my God, this is so goofy. We love it. And I had done that a little bit. And then I started, like everybody else during the pandemic, finding TikTok. And I saw a couple comedians doing these sort of, like, front-facing, quick-take comedy. And I was like, I mean, maybe I could do that. I don't know. It's totally different. It's not stand-up. It, it's it's something entirely different, but it is within the world of comedy and acting and performing. And the biggest thing, and I've talked about this before and I'm not afraid to admit it, I think the only reason that I was able to try doing that, the only reason that I was able to say, okay, I can put something out into the world and see how it goes, is because nobody I knew was on TikTok. And that was such a big barrier of entry for me with trying to post something on Instagram. I just had this this fear of people are going to be like, who the hell does she think she is? She's not a comedian. She's Shannon. She works at an ad agency and she used to act when she was little. And I, I just didn't feel comfortable calling myself a comedian yet. And when people would ask, like, oh, my God, you do stand-up? I would say, oh, yeah, like, I'm trying to be a comedian. Even though I had already been being a comedian for a year. I was so afraid to take that title because I I don't know if it was imposter syndrome or what or just not confidence in my own work. But I was so afraid to take that title. And the idea of going to Instagram where my cousins followed me and people I went to high school with and my coworkers and even my friends. In fact... Honestly, I was more worried about people that I'm actually very close with than these sort of strangers who just find you on the internet that you're like, oh my God, we took a one-week course together in college and now we follow each other on Instagram for the rest of our lives. But I was just really embarrassed to, to say, hey, I think I can do this. 
which I'm not proud of, but that's life. And I think we all have these sort of fears and insecurities. And that was one of mine. But TikTok was this blank canvas. Nobody I knew followed me. He didn't really, he was really low stakes. And so I put out a video about Carrie Bradshaw and what I thought she would say during the pandemic, which was something I had already wrote and put on my Instagram story without my face, just sort of like a joke. And my friends had really liked it. And I thought, hey, let me try this. And I did. And at the time, it felt like it went mega viral, which is just, you know, I'm in a different place now. It isn't even a great performing video when you look at it. But at the time, I thought it went mega viral. And I just remember waking up the next morning after posting it. And it was like, you have 200,000 views on this TikTok. And I was like, what? And it blew my mind. And I was so excited. And I thought, okay, okay, let me do it. Let me see if I can do this. And sure, part of it is there is a adrenaline high that comes with going viral. It's it's cool and if you've grown up in this age that we all have, it is something that is undoubtedly, and I don't know if you can say that forever, but the first time it happens, it just it feels like success. It feels like you've done something cool. It feels like you've achieved something really difficult, you know, to to ha- let happen in your life. So I was like, "All right, I got to get another one. I got to get another one that goes viral." So At this moment, it was less about the art of it, obviously, but just trying to figure it out. And and basically what happened was I had in my stand-up a bunch of jokes about growing up in Connecticut. Because how do you grow up in Connecticut and not make fun of it? It's it's like low-hanging fruit. It's an easy target. And I knew that if I just tried to do my stand-up, talking it into a phone, it wasn't going to work. So I thought, all right, let me change the way that I go about this. And let me just create a character that's a girl from Connecticut. And let's just have her say some obnoxious things that were all drawn from jokes that I had already written about being in Connecticut. Like I had, you know, a joke about going to prep school and not being more important in Connecticut than going where you went to college. And so I was like, oh, I'll just have her say like, where'd you go to school? Oh, no, 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 sorry. I don't mean college. I mean high school. And these sort of just like, for this character, a little bit tone deaf and, and ridiculous things that she was saying. So I just started having, you know, Connecticut girl saying things. And then I thought, well, this is more like a film. It's kind of like a sketch. It needs a sense of place. We, I need to place her somewhere so that she feels real. So that there is a reason that she is having this conversation that she is. And that's where I landed on Connecticut girl on a date. And the reason I landed on a date is because... I had been on so many dates and I felt like it was something that everybody has lived through. Everybody has been on a date at one point in their life and dates are really weird microcosms of society because you're trying to be the best you can be. You're trying to be yourself. You're trying to impress someone. They could be terrible. You could have a crush on them. It's awkward. It's performative. You have so many questions to ask and so much information about yourself to have to give on a date that I said, okay, we'll put her on a date. And I made that video and that was the first video I had that went truly viral and I was so excited and I had had so much fun making it because it was a character that I created. I had written all of these funny things for her to say and other people were finding it funny. 
And it just felt like magic. It felt like magic. And so after years of working in advertising, you learn how to optimize, right? You learn, okay, if they like this, then what else can we do? We, we look at the analytics and the data. And I thought, all right, the analytics are here. They like Connecticut girl on a date. Maybe they'll like somewhere else on a date. Well, what do I know better than Connecticut? The only thing would be Manhattan because that's where I live and that's where I have dated. So I could probably make a Manhattan girl on a date. And this one was completely net new. I had never written stand-up about this, but I thought, all right, let's give it a shot. And I created Manhattan Girl, and she went viral. And then people started asking me, can you do this state? Can you do this state? Can you do this city? Can you do this place? And the biggest reason that I think I was able to be successful and not just this quick flash in a pan and then go away is because I limited myself to places I actually knew. Because they always tell you, write what you know. And comedy is funny because comedy is personal. Comedy is taking an experience that you have had that is incredibly personal to you, that is a unique experience you lived, and sharing it with the world in a way that anyone who has had a similar experience or observed a similar experience can relate to. And that's why we love comedy, because it's about a connection. It's about finding this happened to me, something similar also happened to you, and we can laugh about it. One of the biggest laughs you get in a stand-up set is called a recognition laugh. And that means you're not even telling a joke. You're just stating something true or doing a character that people say, oh my God, I know that and I'm going to laugh. It's the whole, it's funny because it's true thing. And so I knew that I couldn't suddenly sit down and start writing characters like Virginia girl on a date because I've never been to Virginia. I couldn't do, you know, Houston girl on a date because I had never been to Houston. And so I started thinking about what are some other places that I have the authority, I guess, to talk about. And so I ended up with Vermont, which is where I went to college, Boston, because I've known so many people from Boston growing up in New England. I ended up going Chicago because my fiance and one of my good friends had lived there for so long. So I was able to get real insider opinions and ask them questions because anybody can Google a list of a hundred things that Chicago people say and do and think and then you're going to end up with something that feels completely inauthentic and not true to the experience of being from there at all. That would be like if someone did an entire New York bit about bagels, pizza, and the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, you need bagels and pizza and something about New York, but real New Yorkers don't know or go to the Statue of Liberty very much and it's not going to have that that surprise element of something you didn't expect to see coming. And it also couldn't just be references to places and things and name dropping bars and and things like that. Each character, and it was really important to me, each character had to have her own personality. And that personality had to be defined and created by the circumstances in which she lived. So that's how all of these characters that I'm now known for, I suppose, came to be. And the other thing I did that I think was really important, at least for my own trajectory within the comedy space, was once I had created like five or six of them, of these girl on a date videos, I thought, all right, it's really important that I create something else. Because this industry, if you have any interest in being a comedian or a writer or an actress, I've learned one thing And I would say it is definitive. I'm sure some people will disagree. But 
this industry, the entertainment and creative industry, loves to pigeonhole you. They love to say, oh, you've done this. You could do that again. And they don't necessarily want to give you the opportunity to try something else because it feels too chancy. People want proof that you can do what you're going to do. And sometimes that is an amazing thing. If you've done something a bunch of times, then you could say, hey, I've done a lot of comedy. And people say, great, come do some more. And that's amazing. But if you as an artist want to spread your wings and expand the type of thing that you're doing, it can be really limiting. And so even though I was really early on in this TikTok success and I knew that if I had made a video for every state, they would continue to grow viral and I would get all these followers, I knew, I knew that I had to do something different. I knew I had to break away from that. And so I just started doing some other content. I did another one about watching fantasy football with my boyfriend and calling it his mythic team. It was something different and it wasn't a character, it was myself. And then I did a bunch of other videos and then I brought the characters back and it felt like a treat. And basically what I didn't realize was that I was creating this whole strategy for myself, but I was doing it in real time by just seeing three very specific things. What are people responding to and listening to my audience? Because I think the most important thing you can know as any kind of entertainer, creator, artist, is that it's a conversation with the people who are viewing and consuming what you're creating. The second thing is going to sound like a complete opposite to that, but it's not. I had to make sure that while I was listening to my audience and figuring out what they were liking, that I was creating content that I was creating content that I enjoyed creating, that I liked doing, that I thought was funny because I knew if I had to do something that I didn't like, one, it wouldn't be sustainable. I would never look forward to sitting down and filming those videos and they are very time consuming so you have to like it. But more importantly, I found that by creating the things that I liked, I was attracting an audience of people who liked that in return. So I was getting the right audience for my content. And that was the biggest thing that I learned from this entire experience because when you're an actress, so seven years prior when I was going on auditions and sending out my headshot and my resume and my reel to anybody in the entertainment industry I could get an address for, I was always trying to please them. I was trying to be what they wanted. I was trying to be who they wanted. I was trying to fill holes that they were looking to have filled. And when I started doing stand-up, but more importantly, when I started doing content, I just said, hey, here's what I think is funny. And then the people who agreed with me found me. And it was more true to me. And it was content that I knew I could keep up with, that I could have that creative engine running over time because it was so entertaining for me as well to be a part of it. So the biggest advice I would give anyone who wants to be a, a creator of any kind is... Just start doing the work that you believe in, that you yourself enjoy creating and consuming. And it might take time, but if you keep putting that work out into the world, the audience for it will find you. And if that audience finds you, then you create a loop of people who you're putting out what they want to see and they're sharing it with other people who might want to see it. And that's how you find an audience. You don't find an audience by saying, okay, what do people want? Let 
by imagining an audience and then trying to fit yourself to that because that's never going to work. It's just not. Because even if you do match that audience and you get where they are and they like what you have to say, you're going to run out of things to say or you're not going to like making it and you're going to get bored and then you're going to stop doing it. So make the work you want to make. So that's how I got into comedy. That was a much longer story than I thought it would be, but another reason that I'm a comedian is because I can talk forever <laughs> and I like telling stories. But now that I'm in it, I've, I've learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot. And one of the things that people always ask me is, you know, do you like social media or stand up more? And the answer is they're all so different because it's not just social media and stand up, right? It's having a podcast. It's writing scripts for TV shows that I hope someday will be made. It is auditioning for other TV shows. It's it's funny, I've come back to acting, but through this lens of being a comedian, which is just such a more empowering place to be. So I feel like I'm acting better than I ever was when I was trying to do that. And the answer to if I got cast in something or not determined my entire self-worth, which is a very dangerous place to be. And so they all feel very different. And I love social and I love content, but I also, I love stand-up. And I think stand-up is is really special because you get the opportunity to be in the room with someone. So it's funny because I can make a video on social and it can reach a million people, which is impossible in stand-up. Even if you are Jerry Seinfeld and you're selling out stadiums, you're not going to have a million people in a room. Maybe you are. I don't know how many seats are in a stadium. (laughs) But regardless, it can reach millions of people so quickly. But you can only read their comments and see their likes to know that they're enjoying it. And there's something about that live response of a laugh and the energy that that creates. And again, like I said, the conversation between the creator and the audience is so energetic and alive in a stand-up show. I love watching stand-up as much as I love performing it because the energy of comedy is just so fun it's like tennis you know I say a joke you laugh that makes me say another joke then you laugh again it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it's exciting and it feels like it's pulsating with energy the biggest difference between content and stand-up though is how often you need to be creating new work and that's something that I've I've struggled with and I've talked to other creators who I think have struggled with it as well but maybe you know we're all learning about it with social media because social media moves at the speed of light or even faster you have this pressure to always be creating something new and I know when you're looking to start a TikTok they tell you they're like post six times a day and I'm sorry if you are trying to post six times a day something that is edited and crafted and written and performed, the quality is going to suffer. And so you come to this place where you're like, do I, do I prioritize quantity or quality? And how do I keep coming up with new ideas? Whereas in stand-up, there are jokes in my set that I have been telling for five years. And they've changed, they morph, each audience brings something different to it and you change the wording and the jokes, you know, they grow with you as you grow as a comic. But that's part of part of the art form of stand-up is doing the same thing again and again and again. It's about repetition. 
to be a good stand-up, you have to have said your set to an audience so many times that if you were in a coma, you could probably still say those words because you know them in the same way that you know your phone number. It's just in your blood and in your body. And social media is the complete opposite of that. It's like, give me something new. Give me something different. Give me something I haven't seen before. And so, you know, you're always trying to create new work and you're afraid that it's going to be repetitive or that the ideas aren't going to be as funny. And so that there's also a fleeting nature to social media because you put something out in the world and yeah, it lives on your TikTok or your Instagram page forever. But after a couple of weeks, no one's looking at it anymore. Things sort of have a shorter lifespan. So you have to be a little less precious with them because they're not going to serve you for five years in the same way that a joke I'm telling might. And I think that, you know, that's just a big part of the differentiation between the two different art forms because they are very similar but they are also incredibly different but the last thing I'll say about my journey trust the process because nine years ago when I moved here to be an actress I would have never thought that me being a performer would come about in this way and when I stopped acting and went into advertising I thought that was the end of performance for me And I was okay with that. I'd made peace with it. But my heart and the universe had different plans. And in the most roundabout, weird way, through a path that I could have never, ever guessed would be my path, or if you asked me what's your 10-year plan when I was in college, I could have never said it was this because, hell, TikTok didn't even exist. And I just, it's so roundabout and weird, but through this bizarre turn of events, I am now living the dream that I dreamed when I moved to New York City as a fresh college grad. And it just took me letting the events happen as they may and then figuring out what I actually really wanted to do and what I personally had to say instead of trying to always match someone else's idea or or be the perfect answer to a casting question. I just started putting out what I want to put out And it worked. And so if you are interested in being a comedian or an artist of any kind, any kind of creator, just start doing it. And stop making rules for yourself that it has to happen a certain way. And I think you'll have a lot of fun. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. You guys, my audience, the the other half of the conversation that is my comedy, I'm so grateful for you. Truly, and I've, I've loved every minute of making content for you guys and engaging with you guys about it, whether that's live in a room on stand-up or virtually from miles, states, countries away through TikTok and Instagram. Thank you for laughing, and let's keep doing it. Until next week, I'm Shannon Fiedler. <laughs>